Well, the scripture, we're going to continue our story uh, about Noah. Uh, and this morning, we're going to read from chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 14. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. And you are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And Noah did everything, just as God commanded him. And then over in the next chapter, for 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the high ark above the earth, and the waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. And only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. So last week we began this series about Noah and we learned that Noah is not just a children's story but it has a lot of things to say to us as adults. And one of the things we learned last week is that God is not looking for perfect people, that God can use anybody who is willing to be used by God. You know, all of us with our flaws, God isn't looking for perfect people and I'm, this is probably projecting here, but I think perfect people probably annoy God. Uh, God's looking for normal people like us who are just willing to say yes and do what God wants us to do. Now, if you go back, which you, you don't want to do, but if you were to go back and read some of the sermons of the early church fathers from like the first, second century, uh, or, or go back and read how they did interpretation like in the new time of the New Testament. They used a, a method um, that, that was uh, called allegory. It was an allegorical interpretation of the Scripture. So that every time they read a story in the Scripture, some character or something in the Scripture stood for something else. And it was, it, the whole thing became an allegory. Let me, let me give you an example um, this, is, this is an allegorical interpretation. It comes from the church father, Origen. And this is a sermon that he preached on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this is what he says. The Good Samaritan is Jesus Christ. The man 
who is attacked on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho represents those who have sinned voluntarily, those men who wanted to be on the road. The wounds inflicted on the man represent vices and sins. The priest who comes along the road, and stands, he stands for the Jewish law, and the Levite stands for the prophets. Providence, however, left the man to the care of Jesus Christ, who is stronger than the law and the prophets, and who came down to help the dying. The oil, the wine, and the bandages were carried by Jesus, not only for this particular man, but for others who have been wounded, so representing his care for mankind. The donkey on which the wounded man is placed is the Lord's body, for he has taken humanity upon himself. The inn is the church, because it welcomes all and, and refuses help to none. The two pence represent the knowledge of the Father and the Son, and the innkeeper is the angel of the church. And then Origen concludes with a call to Christians to imitate Christ's action in bearing the burdens of the world. Now that sounds really weird to us. To take a story and make every single character in the story represent something else. But that's the way they did it in the first couple of centuries. Jewish rabbis sometimes used that practice during New Testament times. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul used allegory in the Scriptures at least once. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud so that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Now, for all of you who have ever been reading along in 1 Corinthians and read that verse, that says the rock in the desert when the Israelites were wandering through the desert was Christ, and you thought, that doesn't make any sense at all. You're in good company. Because it doesn't make any sense at all. Unless you understand that Paul was interpreting it allegorically. And so he said that when the Israelites passed through the Red Sea... That's like when we get baptized. And the manna, the food from heaven, is like Holy Communion. And the, the strength they got from the rock is like the strength we get from Christ. And so what Paul was saying is that the strength they gained from the water, the food, and the rock is like the strength that we gain through baptism, Holy Communion, and Jesus. So it's, it's an odd way to us because we don't do that anymore. And, and quite frankly... Uh, here's the thing about allegory is it's very dangerous because you can make the scriptures say anything you want them to say. You are only limited by your own imagination. So here's a good rule of thumb. Unless you're the Apostle Paul, you shouldn't use allegory as a way to understand the scriptures. Now, now having said that, um, I, I fully am aware I am not the Apostle Paul, but, but there is an interesting analogy between uh, the story of Noah that has persisted through the years. There's some similarities between the ark and the church. And uh, some of the, in early Christian art, a symbol of the church has always been a boat or a ship. And you know, early church fathers, again, they used allegory to understand that story of Jesus when he was in the boat and he calmed the storm on the sea, 
Uh, they would say that the sea is the chaos of this world and the, the boat is the church. And Jesus is Jesus who calms the storm and who guides the church. And so there was all that stuff. And so we're not going to do allegory this morning, but I just want to, I just wanted to tell you, there are some real comparisons between the ark and the church. There are four that I want to mention this morning, four similarities between the ark and the church. Here's the first one. It doesn't look like much at first, but by the grace of God, it floats. <laughs> I mean, the ark was really just a big box. It had no rudder, no stern, no oars. That's one of the reasons it's called an ark and not a boat. There was no way to guide it, no way to control it. You just floated. That's all it could do. And, um, it, you know, it wasn't like anything else in Noah's day. And so the culture at Noah's time thought this was a pretty strange idea. And quite frankly, our culture in our day and time thinks church is a pretty strange idea. And we emphasize again, the church is not the building. The church is us. It's, it's the people. But if we're serious about following Jesus, then we're going to look at the world and, and live a little differently than people who don't. And so people who don't look at us and think, well, that's, that's a bit odd. That's a bit strange. There are, you know, to, to, to a lot of people in our culture, it is a really strange idea that you would get up on a beautiful day like this and come to church to worship. When you could be sleeping in, you could be pursuing any other personal pleasure that you wanted to, it seems odd to many that you would get up and come and do this. It seems strange to people that you would give of your time and your money to an organization that's gonna take your time and your money and help somebody else. That, that's odd to a lot of people. And so the church like the ark, seems rather strange to the culture around it. And, and Noah had to build the ark himself. Now, God gave Noah the plan. God told Noah what was going to happen. But Noah had to build the ark. It was up, left up to him. And, you know, the church works the same way. God gives us a vision. God tells us who we are supposed to be. And through the Holy Spirit, God guides and empowers us but the work is ours to do. It's our minds, it's our hands, it's our feet, it's our money, it's our time. And if we don't do those things, then it doesn't get done. Just like if Noah hadn't built the ark, it wouldn't have gotten built. And so there's some truth in that old adage that we should pray like everything depends on God and work like everything depends on us. Here's the second way the ark and the church is similar. There are different kinds of passengers, but the same purpose. I mean, the ark was filled with all different kinds of animals. All, you know, two by two, all the different kinds, all you could imagine. And these animals had different needs. And you can imagine Noah probably had to keep the mountain lions over here and the goats over here. Um, you, where do you keep the termites? I don't know. Uh, he had to keep telling the rabbits, only two, only two. And, and... You know, the, the church is similar. We come here, we're, we're all different. We, we come from different backgrounds. We, and at this church, we don't have a cookie cutter that every church member is supposed to be like and think like this and, and act like this. We're, we're different. And we can celebrate that. We're different for a purpose. 
And you know, it was imperative for Noah that the passengers on the ship get along. Imagine if the animals started fighting. Imagine if one of those lions got loose and went after one of those antelope. Imagine if the elephants started rampaging. It would tear the ship apart and the ship would sink and people would be lost. And the same thing is true with the church. That's why church unity is so important. Because if we fight and argue, we end up destroying the ship. And when we destroy the ship, it sinks. And churches are not immune from extinction. And when the church sinks, people are lost. And you know, like so many of you, I I am just so grieved over what's happening in our denomination. Methodists have, we have differences over all kinds of issues. You put two Methodists in a room, you get three opinions. (laughs) And it has always been that way. We haven't always agreed on everything. And you know, if, if we can't work together without agreeing on everything, if, 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 if we can't do that, then when, churches, when church members fight and all that stuff goes on, you know, to people outside, it looks like the animals are loose on the ark again. <laughs> Just running havoc and you know, creating trouble. And that's why God has called us, even if we don't agree on everything, to still love each other and be about God's purpose. And, and I, am, I am grateful to be here, and I am grateful that there are other churches like St. Paul where we can disagree on things, but still love each other and still work together and still show up and do ministry together. Because that's one of the things that help people believe God is real when they see that we really love each other and model that. When someone says, this is my deeply held religious belief and because of that, this is how I'm going to live. I have nothing but respect for that person, even if I disagree with their belief. But it's when someone says, this is my deeply held religious conviction and so this is how you must live. Yeah, that's where it gets dicey. The first one allows for unity and grace. The second one does not. And when passengers fight, the ship is damaged and people are lost. And the third thing is the vessel isn't perfect. I mean, here's the truth. If you've been around church very long, and it pains me to say this, but if you've been around church very long, you've probably been hurt by the church. You may have been hurt by this one. It happens because churches aren't perfect. And sometimes it takes people a long time to get over getting hurt by a church. And, And some people never do. And that's why it's my goal. I just want so much for St. Paul to be a healthy church, a church that has purpose and joy to, to every, everybody who's a part of it, to people's lives. And, and no church is perfect. I mean, there are always problems. Uh, sometimes that old saying about the ark is true about the church, that if it wasn't for the storm outside, you couldn't stand the smell inside. <laughs> but, you know, churches have to make tough decisions, and especially these days, and we don't always agree. But we can determine to disagree without hurting anybody. We can disagree and still work toward kingdom goals. We can disagree and still love each other. 
And that's what makes us different from the culture. That's what shows people Jesus. You know, a lot of people looked at Noah and the ark, and they looked at the ark, and they laughed, and they said, man, that thing will never work. And there are people who look at the church, and they say, yeah, that's, not, that, that's never going to work. That's not, that's not, that's not going to happen. Uh, and, and some of us deserve, but, you know, people feel like that. I heard a story about this man. They found him. He was on a deserted island. Um, he had gone missing. He was lost at sea 10 years earlier. Everyone thought he was dead. And they found him. Here he is on this island. And not only had he survived, but, I mean, he had thrived. He had built these little buildings all around the island. He had a garden that he had made. He had this system of harvesting the fruit. And, I mean, it was just amazing what he had done in this place. And so when they found him, uh, they were stunned that he was alive. And so they were going to rescue him. And, and, but they said, before we leave... You've got to give us a tour of this island and show us what you did because this is just remarkable how you managed to survive. And so he was showing them around and, and um, they said, well, what's this building here? And he said, well, that's my house. Uh, this is where I would sleep at night and if it got too hot during the day, I would come in here for shelter. And, and uh, this building over here, this, this was my kitchen. You see the fire pit in it. I didn't want it in my house because it gets things too hot. So this is where I would come and cook my food and, and get all of that ready. And, uh, and they said, well, what about this building here? He said, well, that building, that building there is my church. And I would go over there and I would kneel down and I would pray and I would sing whatever songs I could remember and, and whatever scripture I could remember. And, and th that really helped me with my faith and it helped me to get through this whole ordeal. And they said, well, what about this other building over here? And he said, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> You know, I hear people talk sometimes about a war on Christianity, and I, I don't believe it. I, I think that's a myth that's propagated to instill fear for political gain. Our country does not hate the church nor persecute the church. It's worse. They don't know we're here. They don't care. Makes no difference at all. We rarely cross their mind. And in the early cultures, people noticed Christians because when plagues came and people fleed the city, they went into the cities and took care of the sick. They took children orphaned by war and famine into their homes. They responded to hatred with love. They changed the world. And that's how we changed the world again. And here's the fourth thing, is it rode out the storm. When all was said and done, the ark rode out the storm. And God used it. God used it just like he said he would. And in this story of, of judgment, the ark is a vessel of grace. And I like to think the church is like that. Because all of us in one time or another, we face storms in our lives. And we need people who can help us get through the storms. We need people who will encourage us in our relationship with God. We need each other so we can ride out the storm together. And that's what, when it's at its best, that's what the church does. We also live in a culture that is so judgmental. My gosh, if you ever just go on any social media and read the comments, so judgmental. 
And we, we all get judged. I mean, over all kinds of things. No matter who you are, you've, you've felt that you've been judged for who you are, what you believe. And there are a lot of people who've been judged harsher than we have. Imagine what it's like for them. In a judgmental culture like ours, people need a vessel of grace. They don't need another vessel of judgment. They need a vessel of grace that will help them stay afloat in the chaos. And I believe church can be that vessel of grace. And that's why, in all sincerity, I am excited about being here at St. Paul. I'm excited about being church with you because I believe with all my heart that to people who are facing storms, to people who are tired of being judged, we can be a vessel of grace that helps get us all to the other side. Amen.